I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today from Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through to verse 38. I'll give you just a moment to be able to find that in your Bibles. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 38. Here we go. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Welcome along. It is great to be here for the start of our fourth term commitment series in 2020, which we are calling, What Are You Doing? And what are you doing is such a simple and common question. And it's a phrase that we often use in all sorts of ways. Um, sometimes it's just for information. What are you doing? Uh, sometimes it can be with a sense of bewilderment. What are you doing? Um, sometimes Parents use this because they look at their kids and they just think, what are you doing? I just remember uh, many years ago, our youngest, Philip, was uh, about one year old and Kathy and myself were getting ready for a wedding. I was going to be officiating. I'm getting into my suit. Kath is in the bedroom with me. She's getting into her best dress. And we came out of the bedroom and there was Philip and he had found Kath's deep blue shoe polish. And he thought it was art lesson time. And literally... He just had his nappy on and he had painted himself blue, <laughs> a deep blue. And it wasn't just on him. He had painted the door frames. He'd painted the carpet. And this was the church house. And sadly, Kath never got to go to that service that day because she had to get Philip changed, cleaned, the room cleaned, and she only made it to the reception. And I just remember looking at him when I first saw him thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> It's all you could say in just a sense of absolute bewilderment. Well, we are asking this question, what are you doing? Not with a sense of bewilderment, but with a sense of honesty. And I'm asking the question to spur us to think about what are we doing in our Christian faith? And in particular, what habits are we forming to grow deeper in walking with Jesus? 
what are we doing? And if you want to be honest, and if I want to be honest, I'm asking this question as much as for everyone, but really it's for me as much as anyone else. What am I doing? And that's the way I'd like us all to be thinking, what am I doing? And I was thinking about this question in relation to myself. And if I was very honest with you, this is my own personal fear as your senior minister. As the senior minister, it's uh, an incredible privilege to be here at St. Matthew's. Uh, There's a real sense of being a spiritual leader. Um, You're in the community, you're known. I've got theological education. And there's many things I know about God. And I teach on Sundays, midweek, and I can open the Bible up and I can explain lots of it. And I've done lots of study at that level. And I've got lots of experience when it comes to speaking about God, in praying, in sharing the gospel. But the question I've got for myself is this. While I might know about God and be able to do things for God, is my knowledge of God growing deeper? Because there is a world of difference to knowing about things and actually knowing them. And if I can sharpen that question in terms of my own life, am I loving Jesus more today than what I was last year? Am I more content with my life today than what I was this time last year? Am I more prayerful in my own life today than what I was last year? And do I love my neighbour in the way Jesus calls me to more today? And those on the edge today more than I did last year? And so in terms of who I am, I really am asking myself, what is shaping me? And what is forming me spiritually? What am I doing? And you think about the question of what shapes us. And I think there's three key areas for Christian growth. Three key influences for how we're shaped. One is the stories we believe, the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. The other is the community that we're in. And I pray that we've got Christian friends, brothers and sisters around us who together we're walking this journey of following Jesus. But it's also the habits we form. They are the ways we're transformed. What we believe, the community we're in, the habits we formed. And my personal fear is this. I sometimes in the quiet wonder, is it the story, the narrative of the Western culture that I can't explain, I can't escape, that is materialistic and individualistic and completely godless? Is that the story that's shaping my life? such that it influences how I think and how I live? Are my habits formed more by my phone and the screen in this fast-paced e-world? And you only have to get on a bus these days and you'll just see the amount of people who are just sitting there flicking and scrolling their screens. And if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, I would recommend it to you because it's quite frightening about the way uh, social media is working to addict us. And so what am I doing? What are you doing? 
And what are the habits that we are forming to grow in godliness? To become like Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to serve Jesus in the world. Well, in this series, we're going to look at seven key issues as we think about the question, what are you doing? And the first two are really introductions to get us thinking about this whole topic of spiritual habits and godly habits. And so we're going to look at identity and practice in these first two weeks. And then we're going to look at five individual areas for godly habits and the areas that we need to practice in to form what they used to call spiritual disciplines. Uh, the area of presence, God's presence with us, rest, denial, neighbour, simplicity. And so that's the journey ahead. But I want to stop just for a moment and just reflect on a comment that came with the introduction of a groundbreaking book that was written 40 years ago by a man called Richard Foster. It was called The Celebration of Discipline. And it was a book that was written about spiritual disciplines, which is in fact what we're talking about in this series um, under the title of Godly Habits. And he wrote this, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And friends, that was 40 years ago, but the, the same need is here today. We need people who are not just gifted, not just intelligent, but are deep in their walk with Christ. Because we need that depth if we're going to have an impact in this world rather than be influenced and swept along by it. And so I want to start today by thinking about the very important question of identity. Just who are we and what does it mean to be called a Christian? And if you've got your Bible there, I'd love you to open up to Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 38. And I want to just make some observations about our identity in relationship to the revelation about Jesus Christ that comes in this passage. It is a very significant passage, uh, one of the most famous in Mark's gospel. And if I can say a number of things, the first thing is this, it is the turning point in the gospel. When you read Mark from chapter 1 through to this point, halfway through chapter 8, basically you have a revelation of the authority, the power that Jesus has as he teaches, as he heals the sick, as he casts out demons, as he controls nature, as he raises the dead, you see in front of you on the scripture pages there, this incredible portrait of the son of man who has authority. And then he stops. And I read from verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And so he stops and asks his disciples who've been with him, and the question really is, you've seen me now, you've seen what I do, who do you think I am? And the question is asked broadly and openly with his disciples. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now let me say the whole story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark turns on that confession. And then Jesus says in verse 30, he warned them not to tell anyone about him. The second thing this passage shows us is it reveals Jesus' true identity. For the first time in the gospel, Jesus openly to his disciples confesses, admits that he is the Messiah. It's been a secret up until this point. He's done all the things that you would expect the promised king of God to do 
If you read the Old Testament and looked at the prophecies about what his promised coming king would do, Jesus fitted it all in chapters 1 to 8. But now the news is out. He is the Messiah. And the third thing to note, though, is he redefines the definition of what God's promised king is going to be like. And there's no doubt the disciples, when they thought of the coming king, thought of someone like King David, who was going to lead an army to victory and to conquer the Romans. And Jesus says this after the um, confession of Peter. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. In other words, you've said I'm the Christ. Yes. Well, this is what's going to happen to him. He will suffer many things. He will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he be killed and after three days rise again. Now, I know for many of you, you'll be familiar with this passage, but he is turning on its head the expectations and understanding that the disciples had of what the Christ was to be. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see, the the disciples basically couldn't comprehend this kind of Messiah or Christ. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so we get this complete reversal of expectation, understanding about who God's coming king will be, the Christ, the Messiah. And he will be a suffering king. He will be one who loses, who is defeated before he is victorious. And let me say that paradigm is so important to understand for the whole of Christian life. But the fourth thing is, Jesus gives a new definition of what it means to be a person in God's family. He gives what I want to say is a definition for what it means to be Christian. And in today's world, to be a Christian can be as much a religious statement as it is a cultural statement. It could be a statement about you and your personal walk with Jesus. It could just be a statement that you've grown up in a Christian household or that you've grown up in a Christian country and that like the general population, you say, well, I'm typically Christian. And you might have some beliefs that uh, from the scriptures, but the sense of which you've been born again in a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, that is something that is not so familiar to you. Well, listen to how Jesus defines what a Christian is. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life and lose it will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, there's two key words here to define what a Christian is, according to Jesus. And the first word is that of disciple. And to be a disciple was a common concept in Jesus' day. Um, Basically, the religious leaders of Israel typically all had disciples who followed after them. If you're a young lad growing up in a Jewish household back in Jesus' day, by the time you reached 13, you would have been taught the Torah. And your father would have taught it to you, which was the Jewish scriptures. But then you had a decision, would you go out to work? And typically it would be following your father's footsteps and taking, if I can say, an apprenticeship under him. Or would you consider further study? And you could attach yourself to one of the 
religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the rabbis. And they would pick the best and the brightest of these young kids to come and walk with them and learn from them. And they were called disciples. And the word simply meant a student, a pupil or an apprentice. And you learnt personally from that leader. Now, John the Baptist had disciples. The rabbis had disciples. A very famous disciple was the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. And as a young man, probably aged 13, 14, moved from Tarsus down to Jerusalem to attach himself to Gamaliel. And Jesus says, do you want to be my disciple? Now, the fascinating thing is the rabbis would pick the best and the brightest. But I love what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And there's just this open sense of invitation to anyone and everyone the possibility of being friends with God through Jesus. He doesn't just pick the best and the brightest. In fact, when he picked his 12 initial disciples, they were a ragtag bunch that no one would have expected. Tax collectors, fishermen, etc., etc. But if you were to be his disciple, he said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that's the second definition that we have here. You see, a Christian is someone who follows the Lord Jesus personally. And if I can put it together, um, we take up our cross and we follow this Jesus as his apprentice, as his disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian in this personal walk with Jesus, following him day by day, learning from him, being his apprentice and learning how to serve him in the world. And you could sum it up by saying this, a Christian is a disciple or a follower who wants to be with Jesus because that's what the disciples did. They wanted to become like Jesus because that was the goal of being a disciple. You became like your master. And you wanted to serve this Jesus in the world. And Jesus sent his disciples out into the world. And friends, that's what it means to be a Christian. Someone who wants to be with Jesus, to trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. The hope of eternal life. Because we know he went on and died for us after this episode. And to become like him and to serve him in the world. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and just think about the way this played out in the book of Acts. Because these disciples then took up the mantle as being the disciples and followers of Jesus and went out to serve him in the world. And the book of Acts uh, records the description of the early church and what actually took place. And what's interesting to note is when you read the book of Acts is to see the way Luke describes the Christian church and the description he has for us as Christians. And it's worth saying the word Christian only appears three times in the scriptures, twice in the book of Acts. And I think it's actually, a, if I can say, a nickname that was given by the, those outside the church to describe those that they saw following Jesus. They called them the Christ people because they were always on about the Christ. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, it's also referred to in terms of suffering as a Christ person or as a Christian. But it's not the typical way that Luke describes us. There are two key ways, firstly, he talks about. Firstly, it's believers. And 26 times, that's what we're called in the book of Acts. We are the believers. And here's a classic example, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And I'll read it for you. All the believers were together and had everything 
in common. And you see, they were the group who believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They were the group who believed that Jesus was the King of Kings, that he'd ascended into heaven. And they called upon him as their Lord and their Saviour, and they believed in him. They were believers, and that's who we are. We are believers. But secondly, they were disciples. And if 26 times they're called believers, 26 times, interestingly, they're also called the disciples. And here's a classic verse, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples or followers of Jesus in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And that's the way the early church was described, the believers who were following Jesus, his disciples. Now, there is one more description that Luke records. It's a fascinating one. It's only used five times and we tend not to use it today because it's often a description that's picked up by cults. But it's worth reclaiming it for us and the church. And it's the description the way. It happens five times that we are called that way or described that way by Luke. And I'll read you a classic one. It's um, Acts chapter 19, verse 8 and 9. And it's Paul speaking in the synagogue. Let me read. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He was in Ephesus. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. Think with me about that description for us. We were people called the way. Now, how do you get a description like that? Why would you be called that kind of um, title? That the church was called the way? Well, I take it it's because this group of disciples, which we call the church, which we call Christians, they were following Jesus in such a distinctive way. They were literally walking in Jesus' footsteps. Even though he had ascended to heaven, they continued on to be with him in the power of the Holy Spirit, to become like him and to practice his way. And so they became known as the way. And you also think of Jesus' famous description of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. And they took on this description. They were the people of the way. And what it speaks of is that the church was this group of people who were not just, if I can say, um, a side group who just had some interesting beliefs. There was a real sense that this was a movement of people who were joining the way. They were trusting in Jesus for salvation. They were spending time with him. They were becoming like him. And they were now serving him and proclaiming him in the world. They were the way. Let me try and conclude and pull this all together. What's our identity as Christians? It's that we will enter into a deep and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And through him, we become friends with God. We become his children. And there's all sorts of ways that when you read the letters, it describes our identity holy, forgiven, loved, etc., etc. But for, for today, the description I want us to take hold of is this. We are followers. We are disciples. And we are walking in the way of Jesus. That's what he's called us to. 
And as his followers, what we need to be are people who spend time with Jesus. It's a personal relationship, we often say, where we actually know his presence with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the Son, we know the Father. It's amazing. And secondly, we become like Jesus. And that is the goal of the Christian faith, that we will become like him. And it's fascinating, in the letters in the New Testament, one of the most common descriptions of people who follow Jesus is that they are those who are in Christ. And we're being transformed into his image, is what Paul says. And thirdly, we are to serve him in the world. And that's what the early church did. They were the way. They went out and they walked in the way of Jesus with this radical discipleship that spoke of a God who loved the world and who forgave their sins. And they welcomed people in and called them to put their trust in Jesus and to follow him. Well, over these next six weeks, we're going to be thinking about what it means to do that. And in particular, what are the godly habits that we need to develop? What spiritual disciplines, to use another phrase, to enable us to be people who spend time with him, who become like him and who serve him in the world? Godly habits for growing disciples. And I want to say this in conclusion. Here's my serious challenge for us today as a church. It's my challenge for myself. Firstly, have a go. Have a go. You're only going to get out of this series what you put in. And I want you to think about how you can engage with what we're doing to develop godly habits as a community that will help us grow as uh, faithful disciples. But secondly, do it with others. I will predict if you are only going to watch on Sunday, be it in the church or online, and not engage midweek, you'll actually get very little out of this series. Because you see, one of the key ways we grow is not just through habits, it's through community. And I'd strongly encourage you, if you're not in a small group, to join a small group or find one or two other people that you can do the studies with. We'll have them online, available on the website. You can come down to church uh, and pick some up on the Sunday. But do it together with others and talk about the journey you're on in following Jesus. Thirdly, We've got a survey that we have posted up and we'd love you to do it because one of the things I want us to do is actually take stock of where are we at. And it's not to, in a sense, bust anyone. It's really just to say, this is where we are. And I'd love you to fill it in. And if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, please find the link and fill the survey in. It was not take long at all. And we're gonna try and report back on that next week in terms of how we're going as a church. And then lastly, and I think most importantly, be honest. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, then I encourage you, take steps to actually begin that, to put him in charge of your life, to call him your Lord and Saviour. If you've been walking with him for a long time, maybe there's some areas of your life you need to tweak and just improve. Be honest. But maybe there's a big gap between your profession of faith and actually how you're walking with him. And you need to have a serious overhaul of the habits that you're practicing. Because the thing with habits is this. Habits are things that we do, but they end up doing something to ourselves. 
And what we want to do in this series is develop godly habits that help us grow in our walk with Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of your blessings to us. And Lord, I pray over this term that you would encourage us to be honest, to have a go, to join with others and to develop godly habits that will help us grow to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to serve him in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.